0: Returning to Mark, chapter 9, verses 1 to 13. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them, His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, what do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him.
1: Yeah, thank you Ben. Uh, keep your Bibles open, it's perhaps a story you will have, you're probably familiar with some of the general details, uh, but there's a whole lot in here and we're going to be looking at those details together, so it'll be good if you can follow along uh, and keep up as we do that. Uh, back when I was a student I decided I was getting a little bit uh, squishy around the middle, um, you know, student life, lots of studying and eating, that's pretty much it. So I thought, well, I should go to a gym. Uh, never been to a gym before, so I went to the cheapest one, um, which is a 24-hour gym. You know, the most basic thing, you basically you pay a few dollars a week and you can use the gym whenever. There's no programs, there's no trainers, there's no classes, there's nothing. You just go in there and there's all this weird-looking equipment. I thought, okay, well, what do you do then? If you're going to a gym, you have no idea how to use anything, uh, what to do, what, how to get fit or strong. Well, you watch other people, don't you? You just look at other people and see what other people do. And this is what I noticed. Generally, not, a, not exclusively, but this is what I noticed. Uh, I noticed that guys do bench, you know, lots of bench, uh, and lots of curls. And then they do some more bench, uh, and some more curls, and maybe some pull-ups, but then more bench, uh, and more curls. And, and that's what guys do. Uh, girls, on the other hand, girls do squats, uh, and girls do lunges. And then they do some cardio, but then some more squats and some more. I'm not going to demonstrate that. (laughs) There's there's levels to my dignity, and that's just slightly below it. Uh, And then they do more. Why? Why is that? Well, it is because we don't just go to the gym to get fit, do we? We don't just go to the gym to get strong. Uh, We go to the gym because we care what we look like. Actually, that's probably one of the chief reasons why we go to the gym. We go to the gym because we care what we look like. And, and for men and women, those are kind of the standards that build what we think we should look like. You know, if you're a guy, you do curls because big biceps apparently are really great on girls. Uh, on guys, whoops. Uh, I mean, they might be great on girls. Like, anyway, that, that's what we do. We want, we want to look good. Um, and big biceps apparently look really good. Uh, or not. Uh, And uh, there's a picture about to appear behind me of how biceps cannot look good. I'm waiting for your eyes. There they are. That's not me. Just in in case you are wondering, that's that's not me. Uh, You can probably guess that that is not natural either. Uh, That's what happens when you inject your biceps with three kilograms of Vaseline. Just in case, that's dangerous. I don't know if I need to spell that out. Don't do that. That is not the way to get good biceps. It is easy. No, they're not good biceps. Let's be honest. You can probably take that down. We don't need to see that. <laughs> why do why do people do that? Because it's easy, isn't it? It's an easy way to get the 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 glory or the uh, the good feeling of having that body you want, without having to do the work for us for it. And in a sense, that's a picture of us, isn't it? I mean, not literally, but but metaphorically, that's a picture of us, isn't it? I mean, we all want glory. We all want uh, success or fame or achievement. We want a fulfillment of our dreams or our aspirations. Now, that's probably not your picture of it, but I can guarantee that you have a picture of what that would look like in your mind, what what your life, a, a good life, the full life for you would look like. Some form of glory. We, we all have that and we all want it. And we're all in some way aspiring to it, whether it be you know, quite outrageous or whether it be quite attainable. And we want it preferably the easiest way possible. That's why athletes cheat, isn't it? It's why businessmen cut corners. It's why people have affairs. It's why bodybuilders use drugs or Vaseline apparently. We want glory, but working for it is really hard. It's, it's sometimes too hard. Now in our passage today, we've got a picture of glory. A glory that is beautiful and wonderful and, and, and everything we've ever thought of and, and even more. And a glory that can be had. A glory that can be had. But How? And if that glory is so much better, how much harder will it be then to work for it and try and attain it? Well, Mark tells us in this passage, and we're going to find that out together. Now, just in case you can't remember, the last time we studied Mark was right at the start of March. Um, I had to look that up, so don't feel bad if you can't remember when that was. It's okay. But as Corina mentioned, we, we finished off in Mark at a real high point in this book. The, the first half of Mark is all about that question: well, who is Jesus? You know, who is he really? He's clearly doing some amazing things, but who is he? And, and finally, Jesus himself actually asks that question, says to the disciples, Well, who do you say I am? It's there in chapter 8, uh, verse 28, uh, 29, sorry. And finally, Peter gets it: You are the Christ. <laughs> it's 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 everything we've been looking for in this book he says you are the christ that is god's promised savior god's anointed one they're the one whom they're waiting for to rescue them god's promised king and now finally someone's realized and we we wait for this book to take a great turn as we see what that looks like how promising does it seem look look at verse 1 we have that confession then we get to chapter 9 verse 1 and this is what jesus says I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. It it, it sets it up, doesn't it? Great, they've figured out he's the king, he's the one who's going to bring it all about. And now Jesus promises, some of you, you're not even going to die before you see that happen. You're going to see it come in all its glory. And we think, oh my, wow, what's going to happen? We're going to see God's kingdom, that is, God's rule established on the earth, his, his people raised up to glory, him in power. But when? When's it going to be? Now we've read the chapter, haven't we? And we, we're kind of tempted to say, now. <laughs> it, it looks like now, doesn't it? But is it? Let's just read again what happens. Look at verse 2 through 8. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say for they were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. It's it's a remarkable story, isn't it? We, We have Jesus taking his inner circle, you know, Peter, James and John, into this incredibly remote place way up on top of this mountain. There's no one else there. And there before them... All of a sudden, when we're not told how or what it looked like really, we're, we're told Jesus just changed. And all of a sudden, he, he, Mark, you, know, you can feel Mark kind of struggling to describe what's actually happening. He says He's brilliant. He's, he's, he's pure white. You know, he's, his clothes are, are, are whiter than any laundry in the world could ever wash them. He's just, he can't describe it. He's literally shining. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, appears two other people. Elijah and Moses of all the people it's 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 astonishing isn't it you know uh, elijah the the famous prophet who didn't even die was actually just taken straight up to heaven who did the most incredible of signs who who led israel in amazing ways and then moses who literally led his people out of god's people out of captivity who gave them the law who saw them formed as a nation these are the heroes of the uh, jewish faith heroes of the old testament and here they are with jesus on this mountain And as Mark writes it, he suggests not only with Jesus, but before Jesus. As if they were presenting themselves to him and submitting themselves to him. What what he's saying is they were there, but it wasn't like Jesus was less than them. It was they were less than Jesus. They were appearing before Jesus. (laughs) I mean, if you're a Jew reading that, if you're Peter and James and John seeing that, this is going to blow your mind. Because Elijah and Moses, they were heroes. So what sort of man did they submit to? Well, it's exactly what we've seen, isn't it? It's the Christ. God's King and Saviour. It's no wonder the disciples are packing it here. It's no wonder they're terrified, not only from what they've seen, but from all the implications of what they're seeing. Now we, we, we like to mock Peter and so say, Peter has another Peter moment. What an idiot, you know, like three guys appear and you think, let's build some tents. You know? <laughs> but actually, Peter's kind of got it here, in a way. What Peter says actually makes sense. See, if Peter's expecting God's kingdom is coming. Jesus is the king. Now his two great deputies have appeared. What do you think is going to happen? Well, they're going to need some place to stay to work out their plan, so they can come down from this mountain, bring the kingdom about. So Peter's actually making sense here. The king needs somewhere to stay. But he hasn't quite understood it. Because Elijah and Moses leave. And Jesus stays. So what's happened here? Is this the glorious start of the kingdom that that Jesus has hinted is going to come? Is this where it all kicks off from? Well, kind of. (laughs) Yes and and no. Um, Maybe you can think of it like this. Uh, Say you're in bed at night, it's dark, all the lights are off in your room. And you look at your bedroom door, maybe your bedroom window, and there's a light outside. And you know there's a light outside because you can see kind of the, the light around the, the cracks in the door frame or the light just shining just slightly around the outsides of the blind. I mean, you, you know it's there, don't you? You you can see it. You don't know any, what that light is. You don't know how bright it is, but you know it's there. You could kind of think of Jesus' miracles in Mark a bit like that up to this point. That those miracles are kind of like a little bit of this light shining around the cracks of the door. All all the way through Mark, uh, everyone has believed that those were kind of the heights of his glory. You know, that was the best that Jesus could do. But what we see now is, actually that's just the cracks around the door. They're just hints at what's really out there. It's actually here at the Transfiguration that that door is just cracked open a little bit. And instead of just seeing the hints around the outside, we actually just get to peer through just for a moment. And see just how bright and holy and pure and glorious that light of his kingdom really is. And it is stunning. It is brighter and purer and far more incredible than anything we could have imagined up until this point. That's what this story is. This is a picture, just a little glimpse through the door of the kingdom coming in power and glory and wonder. But, even though it is so beautiful, even though it is proved to be better than what came before, even though it's more beautiful and wonderful and entirely found in Jesus, even despite all of that, we're still just looking through a chink in the door. Even this is not yet the full thing revealed. So when does that come? When will that be? Jesus has said they're going to see it. Well, he actually tells us. He actually tells us later in verse 9. Because what did Jesus say? He says, uh, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. When can they talk about the glory of the kingdom? When can they speak of how beautiful and wonderful it is? Well, it's not until the crescendo has come. It's not until It's fully revealed. It's not until that moment when Jesus, the Son of Man, has risen from the dead because there, Jesus is saying, there is where we see the fullness of the kingdom. There the door is flung wide open and we get to see its glory and its power and its wonder completely revealed for all of us to see. We see it there in his resurrection. That is glory. I mean, that's that's the height of it, isn't it? Because in the what does the resurrection tell us? The resurrection tells us that his great enemies, sin and death, have been defeated. It tells us that there is glory that goes even beyond the grave, that beyond death itself. It is life in eternity. That is glory. And the disciples did get to see it, didn't they? The disciples witnessed it in all its power. And we get to see it in what they tell us of, tell us of it. And the implication of that? This glory can be had. Not only is it better and purer and more wonderful, but this glory can be had by his followers. See, what this event tells us is that Jesus and his kingdom is better. That's simply what it tells us. It is better. It is brighter and purer and forever it is greater than anything that came before it is better than anything that will come after it is the height of god's perfect plan it is a kingdom of life even after death itself it is better it's such a simple idea but but how profound is that jesus kingdom is better it's better than a nice house it's better than the world's biggest biceps It's better than a debt free life. It's better than a comfortable car. It's better than the dream job. It's better than a girlfriend or boyfriend. It's better than a husband or wife. It is better than kids or grandkids. It is better than holidays. It is better than health. All those things are good. But none of them hold a candle to the kingdom. Because Jesus is better. To have Jesus is best, in fact. Because it is best, whether you have those things or not, it is completely regardless of that. It is best because he is glory. Because his kingdom is power. It is better because there is glory in him that is unequaled and incomparable. So how could you and I possibly have such glory? (laughs) How could we possibly get that or possess that? Well, actually, God tells us. (laughs) He doesn't hide it. He tells us straight out. What does he say from the cloud? This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. It's pretty clear, isn't it? How do we have this? How do we partake in this and share in this? Listen to him. So what does he say? <laughs> what, what, what does he tell us? Look at verse 9 through 13. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Now, if you're thinking this passage has taken a weird turn, uh, you're right. <laughs> it does seem to have taken a weird turn. I mean, kind of imagine it. You've been on this mountain, you've seen these incredible things. Uh, what are you going to be talking about on the way down? What was that about? <laughs> what on earth is going on? But the disciples, the disciples seem to get caught up in these all strange little tangents, don't they? Um, they get caught up on this whole risen from the dead thing. You know? what, what, what does that mean? As if you know, that kind of is bigger than what they've just seen. And in a way, they're kind of right. Now the reason we don't get caught up on that is because you know, we've read to the end of the story. We, we know what's coming at the end of Mark. But the disciples don't. Now think of what they've just seen. They've seen Jesus on top of the mountain. They've seen the Old Testament heroes essentially bow the knee to him. They've seen him glorified and beautiful. They've heard God's voice testify to who he is. And now Jesus has said, the Son of Man is going to rise from the dead. What they're thinking is, (laughs) why? (laughs) Because what does someone, you know... Risen from the dead implies something, doesn't it? It implies that a person's died. You know, you don't need to rise from the dead unless you've died. And they're thinking, how on earth can Jesus die? Look at him. Did you see that? How could they speak of him dying? It seems impossible. What what on earth could kill him? And so they ask him about Elijah. (laughs) That's a strange turn of events. But there's a logic to it. See, the disciples knew their Bibles. They knew that the very last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, in the very last chapter of that book, Malachi records God as saying to his people this, God says, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that day, that is the day of the kingdom, before that day comes. So here's what the disciples are asking. They're asking, has Elijah come? Because if Elijah's come, that means this really is the kingdom and somehow all of this, including rising from the dead, is is tied up in that. If Jesus says Elijah hasn't come, they know that that's still yet to happen, that somehow that's still in the future and this rising from the dead is kind of not related to that. So what they're essentially asking is, where's the kingdom at? And Jesus says, it's here. Because Jesus says, Elijah's been Not, he's not talking about the mountaintop now. Elijah's been, do you remember the start of the story? Mark chapter 1, who did we meet? John the Baptist. Who acted like Elijah. Who went to the places that Elijah went to. Who looked like Elijah. Who did the same work as Elijah. Jesus says, yes, he's been. The Elijah figure is here. He's come to prepare the way. So what Jesus is saying is, one, remember the kingdom is really here. And two, remember what the kingdom is really like. Remember what the Bible says about God's rescue. Or remember what it says about his Messiah. Do you remember Isaiah 53? That one will suffer, uh, will suffer and be rejected. Jesus is saying, yes, you've got one part of your Bible right, but remember the other parts as well. Yes, the kingdom is here. But remember what that kingdom is going to be like. You've seen what happened to John. Remember John was put in prison for years and beheaded. That's the pattern of this kingdom. There is suffering and rejection to come, not only for the one who comes before, Elijah, but for God's rescuer too. Jesus is bringing these two things together, the glory of that mountaintop and the suffering of God's Messiah. He's drawing those together. He's saying they're both part of the plan. It's all the same plan, in fact. Suffering and death. Yes, we are on the path to glory, but that is the road it is. Yes, the kingdom is coming in all its fullness, but that path leads through suffering. It doesn't negate death. It goes right through it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever watched the movie uh, 127 Hours. Um, That's not how long it goes for, by the way. Uh, It's it's, it's from a few years back, so no spoilers here. Um, I haven't seen it, but I've read the story. uh, And this is how it goes. It's a true story. Uh, A guy in the US uh, went hiking. Uh, He went hiking, finished off his hike by himself. And he was in a canyon... Uh, He's walking along when he slipped off a cliff. On the way falling down the cliff into this uh, narrow gully, he knocked loose a boulder, and that boulder landed pinning his right hand against the wall of the cliff. Now, this is a very large boulder, not the sort of thing you can move even with a group of people, and he is hanging there by his hand, stuck. He's got no phone. No one's coming to look for him. He's only got bare minimum of food, uh, and water. But besides his hand, he's pretty much in good nick. So what do you do? What do you do in that situation? Well, after some hours of trying to figure out what he could do, he took out his dull multi-tool pocket knife and did the only thing he could do. And he cut his arm off, slowly. Slowly. And then he climbed down and walked out, one-armed, but alive. I mean, can you imagine that discussion in your own head? You know, hanging there, looking at your dull pocket knife, thinking, I know what I have to do, but I don't want to do it. I know how much this is going to hurt, but it's the only way I'm going to live. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if I could do that. It's, it, I mean, it's brutal, isn't it? But in that situation, the only path to life, the only path to survive is through an awful lot of pain and suffering. And Jesus is saying the same here. The only path to life, the only path to the kingdom coming, to the glory of it being fully realized is through a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of suffering and ultimately death. Because Jesus' kingdom is no ordinary kingdom. It is God's kingdom. The disciples couldn't understand that, how glory and death could come together. But Jesus is saying, you're thinking in human terms. This is no ordinary kingdom. This is the kingdom of a holy and glorious God. It's like nothing that's ever been and nothing that ever will be. It's a kingdom that we actually shouldn't be able to enter. (laughs) It's a kingdom that we have no place in. Because as we saw before, we're, we're sinful, aren't we? We're, we're rebellious. We're broken. There's no place for us in a perfect kingdom like that. Unless someone takes it away from us. And that's what Jesus does. He dies to kill our sin. He dies to take our punishment. He dies to forgive us. So that the door into that kingdom can be flung fully open for you and I into God's perfect and holy and glorious kingdom forever. Nothing besides Jesus' death can open that door for us. And nothing besides Jesus' life, his resurrection, can give us life to have it and enjoy it. For there to be a kingdom, for us to be in the kingdom, the only path is death and resurrection for Jesus. And as we're going to see over the next couple of months, that's where he's going. That's where he's headed. We get glory. We get in. Because he dies. Because he lives again. But there's a bit more here. Because remember what God said. God said, listen to him. And what he's just said before this passage and what he's going to say a number of times after this passage is follow. Follow me. Come after me as he's just said in Mark chapter 8 take up your cross too because not only is suffering and death the path of entry into the kingdom it is also the path of life in the kingdom. To believe him, to receive him and his kingdom means following him and going his way. He has gone before us, he has opened the way ahead of us and we are called to follow his way in order to enter. Will you do that? Will you walk the harder path to the better end? Will you trust him even to death in light of resurrection hope? See, the path to glory is hard. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to follow Jesus. It is a hard thing. And I think learning that is hard in itself for us. (laughs) We we live in a great place, let's be honest. We live in a great place and we're used to life being fairly easy. I mean, yes, it has its challenges. Yes, there are things that come up. But on the whole, our life here is pretty good. It's comfortable. It's safe. We live in a prosperous place that's, you know, well-governed, whatever you think of our, our political parties. Our life is easy. And we, we saw how much of a shock it is when life is not easy. We, we saw that at the height of lockdown, didn't we? You know, you, we, we couldn't get what we wanted. We, we couldn't just go to the supermarket. The supermarket didn't even have some of the things that we wanted. And we fell apart. I mean, can you believe police patrolling Woolworths? <laughs> what is wrong with this? What's wrong with us? We are so used to having it good that, that we flip out when it's not And I think that bleeds over into our spiritual life. We're so used to having it good. We're so used to life being easy and obstacles being being able to overcome them. And that's why it's hard for us to think of having it hard, just for following Jesus. But Jesus says, that's the reality. That's the path I'm calling you to. If you are expecting or if you are thinking that you can have the good of the Christian life without hardship... You are kidding yourself. There is good. I mean, we've seen that. The, the glory of the kingdom is unparalleled. There is nothing like it. But you don't get it for free. You can't have its blessings without its cost as well. If you think you can have the blessings of the kingdom without sacrificing for the kingdom, you're kidding yourself. If you think you can have good from God without effort and discipline for him, you're kidding yourself. If you think we can have the nice and growing and exciting church and Christian life without the cost and work and hard decisions and sacrifices, we're kidding ourselves. There is a cost. And there will always be a cost. Because that's Jesus' path. And that's a path he calls us to follow. But it ends well. There is glory to come. This is what the Apostle Paul says, a man who is no stranger to suffering. This is what he says. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. When you see that glory, no cost you've paid will not seem worth it. No burden you've carried here will seem too heavy. There is glory to come. Yes, it is had through hardship. But it is a glory that far outweighs them all. So follow Jesus. Walk his path. Pay the cost. And look to the glory that he has promised to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this snapshot of the glory of the kingdom that this passage gives us. Father, that the picture is so beautiful, it it hints at the perfection and wonder that is to come. And Father, we know that this is not something we, we just have to wait for that's yet to be revealed. We know it's here, that Jesus' resurrection has brought it in, that your kingdom is growing all around us and one day to come in its entirety. Father, we praise you. We praise you that he has paid the price for sinners like us against all the odds to be able to enter in. We thank you that this picture of glory is a promise for us of better to come. Lord, may that knowledge uh, spur us on and encourage us to walk this path despite the difficulties ahead. Lord, help us to be willing to accept that cost and to pay it even though it is tough in light of the kingdom and the glory you've promised Father, fix our eyes there. Help us to see that and follow Jesus here. In his name we pray. Amen.